And um, they've made tremendous sacrifices to come to the United States. It's one big issue to get a visa and for so long, and then, uh, you know, just to try to be sustained while the team is here. And God has just been uh, faithful in meeting our needs, and we're just thankful for your part. <coughs> Are you Pastor Dick Young? It's good to meet you. I haven't seen you in a long, long time, and your ministry has blessed my heart. Okay, don't you know that? Okay. Um, God loves sinners. I know you know that, right? God loves sinners. And I trust that that truth will sink deep in your soul. And I know, as I said, you, you are aware of that. But our desire is that we all will be passionate about it. <coughs> Excuse me. John 3.16 to 19. Um, we know that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, but the, that the world will be saved through him. That was a, a legal declaration by God that all men are sinners and are condemned. John also tells us that this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world, but men love what? Darkness rather than light. Lest your deeds be exposed. Hudson Taylor struggled with that whole thought. Because he saw in, in the gospel that, uh, the, the great commission to go. And his culture was pulling him back saying, you don't go. Wait till God miraculously takes you over wherever he needs to take you. And it was a conflicting idea. When he went to China and started the China Inland Mission, one of the uh, Tribal Chinese men came up to him and in his own language, obviously, as he dressed, as Hudson Taylor dressed as a Chinaman, and asked him, Sir, can you tell us, or tell me, how long have you had the gospel? And Hudson Taylor, with passion, responded, Oh, we've had the gospel for many centuries. And it was like an arrow that went through the heart of the young tribal man. He said, Sir, you mean you've had the gospel for so long and it is only now you have come? William Carey experienced the same thing as he ministered in India. He said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. When he walked among and served among the Indian people, and countless came to the Lord. He went for his local church before he went to India. Please support me. Pray for me. They had the elders meeting and they came out. Had William Carey in his, in his office, in the office, and told him, if God wants to save those heathens, he can do it without you. And they never supported him. And he took a boat and he went over to India. As I said, Countless Indians trusted Christ as their Savior. Jim Elliot faced the same idea when he went among the Alka Indians in Ecuador. And while my wife and I on different occasions had the opportunity to be in that area, 
And as he preached the gospel, as he went and he made contact with the Alka Indians, he said these words before he was murdered. That he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I, 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 I am challenged by that, and, and especially Jim Elliot, and when he was killed by the Alka, Alka Indians, his wife Elizabeth and their little daughter Valerie went back to the very same people who killed their husband. And to see these, these men place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ blows your mind. Friends, I don't know about you, but it seems like we're living in a time where the gospel message is not only frowned upon, but it's... If you, if you talk about some other thing, some other message about the Bible, some uh, uh, noble cause, people want to hear it. But as long as you start referring to the gospel message, an exclusive message, where Jesus he said unto him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. That there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but through Jesus Christ our Lord. The moment we start resting upon those truths from the word of God, you are branded a bigot, a racist, intolerant. You know the list. But I find in the, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 15, we, did, we, we talked about this in the first service. But I would like to read a few verses to you. And uh, Pastor Ty, where are you? I need you, bro. Where are you? You did you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what am I doing? I need to end here. <laughs> okay. In Luke chapter 15, starting from verse 1. And let's lay the foundation. Let's look at the context of this passage. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to, hear, to, 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 near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying... Alright, so we see two groups of people represented here. The tax collectors and the sinners... In the social Jewish ladder, those, that was one of the extremes. You had the tax collectors. They were described by, by John the Baptist as the brood of vipers. They were described as the bloodsuckers. They ate the people from inside out by taxing them exorbitant amount. And then the, the Romans, the guards would be with them so that they would make sure the Jewish people pay up. Another class of people who are associated with them, the tax collectors and the sinners. And another word that we're familiar with, the prostitutes. That, that was one category. So you had from the one extreme of the social ladder to the elite on the other side, where you had the Pharisees and the scribes. Those were the guardians of the day, of the spiritual uh, uh, reflection of the Jewish people. You were seen in the synagogue. You were Annas and Caiaphas and and all these uh, temple guards and uh, temple priests. And again, the context of this reveals that 
Jesus was talking about two groups of people. One represented the detestable type of outward sinners. Those who, those who would uh, live it up and, and fraught their lifestyle. And then there were different type of sinners. There were the religious ones. They were the respectable sinners. But you know what? They were both what? They were both sinners. And Jesus saw no difference. They all needed the Savior. And from this point, Jesus is now going to give a parable. It's actually one parable divided up into three sections. Remember the, the parable of the lost sheep? We touched on that this morning. And the, the, the sheep uh, went off and the, the, the shepherd went after the sheep. And when he found the sheep, uh, he brought it in and brought his friends and they rejoiced. Likewise, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over what? One sinner who repents. And in the second part of this parable, he talked about the lost coin. In the first part, the lost sheep, and he went after him. The second part, lost coin. The intrinsic value of a lost soul. And basically, that's what the picture is. And we described, we went into some of the culture of the Eastern mind. That this wasn't just some ordinary coin that a woman had and then she lost it and then swept and then she found it, she rejoiced, called her buddies and they... That's not what was in it at all. We are from a, different, a similar culture. The culture in which we come out from when, when this type of uh, jewelry was given to the young bride-to-be. This was very significant. And in the Eastern culture, that's what was going on. A, 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 a necklace of some sort of ten pieces. One was lost. Can you imagine your, your, your engagement ring or your ring, women? Your husband-to-be worked so hard, took a loan probably, bought that ring for you, you lost that ring. What would that reflect about you? In this culture, losing that coin or that ring, it, a couple things uh, jumps out at us. And again, we find it in our culture. You will be seen as one of the most irresponsible person. That was enough grounds for the husband-to-be to call off this wedding. In fact, if you were married, by losing that coin, it was enough, according to the culture, for the husband to go through with a legal what? Divorce. And in fact, it was also enough to assume that that woman paid for the love of another thereby categorizing her as an adulteress. And that was enough for that woman, according to that culture, to be what? To be stoned. So do you see the significance when you dig behind the culture of what's really going on here? This woman found a ring and she was so excited. She called her friends and rejoiced. We had a friend in Nebraska there. He was getting married to this young lady and it was a beautiful ring. He was going to propose or something and then he lost it. Later on, he found out that the, the horse ate it with some hay. But boy, did he go searching and he found it. <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> they, they, he, he finally gave her the ring and she didn't know until after the wedding. But, <laughs> but in this case, she rejoiced and then she, they compared this whole story of one Sinner who repents. And there is joy in the presence of the angels of God when that happens. 
God is interested in sinners. The Pharisees believed that the sinners, were, God stoked the, the flames of hell by throwing sinners into the, into the, into the pit. That's what they believe. They believe that God hates sinners. And the cliche that they use, whom the Lord loves, he makes prosperous. That was in their teaching, in the Mishnah and the Talmud. The, 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 the cultural writings, of, the traditional writings of the Jewish people. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. That teaching is still out there. Under the guise of the prosperity gospel. Be careful of that. And then quickly, again, time is upon me here, but Jesus, he went on to tell this third aspect of the same parable, and he said, a certain man had two sons. Now, at this point, you could see the, the Pharisees and the scribes looking at Jesus a certain way. Because really, it's describing the two groups of people that started off in verse 1 and 2. The tax collectors and the sinners. One group, the Pharisees and the scribes, the other. You see what's going on here? Keep it, keep it into context. And he's now going to describe the two groups of people with the same need. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his living. Now again, I don't have the time to go into a lot of details here, but there, were, there are a couple of different scenes that we find here. One, we see the first scene is this young man, he's at home. And he's totally dissatisfied. We don't know why, we're not told. And by the way, by the way rebellion is not something that happens impulsively. Rebellion starts and it takes a period, right? It takes a period. No, 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 no doubt in my mind, he was, he was dissatisfied at a long period living in his father's house. But guess what he says? Father, I want what's coming to me. Normally, the father would have to what? Have to die for the, for the children to get the inheritance. And Deuteronomy gives us some idea that it was possible that the inheritance could be liquidated even when the father was alive. But to make that demand, it was very, very rare. And this son took advantage of that. But in essence, you know what he was saying? Dad, I wish you were what? I wish you were dead. You see, and that's the reflection of the sinner right there. That's the attitude that the world has toward God. Remember that movement in the 70s in this country? That God is what? The God is dead movement? It's still alive. It's still alive. We can see it wherever we go in this country and where our country is headed. How in, you, how in the world can he come up with a request like this? Now, I want to go back again into the culture. A lot of these parables, if you really look at it from the Western world, there's not much to it. But if you look at it from the Eastern mind, it changes the, dyna the dynamics of what, what really is the meaning in it. The Jewish culture, uh, in fact, the story that was being told here, it was, Jesus was describing a, a culture of people, they, they thrive on the, on the shame and the honor system. It was about shame and honor. Everything, if you offended the family, I remember as a little boy growing up, when my, growing up in a little village in Trinidad, I remember as a little boy where, 
where there would be a whole group of, a whole clan coming to my family and they want to fight. They would machetes and spears and all that. They want to fight and beat up our whole family because one of my family members offended them. And so they, demand, they demanded goats and chickens and all that. It was a shame and honor system. And in this case, what we're finding here is this young boy, he demanded his inheritance. That was a shameful thing. And what was the father going to do about it? Was he going to put his foot down and tell his boy that it's not going to happen? But his father caved in and what happened? Again, you know the story. He ended up liquidating, somehow doing this to his property. And this was, a, again, a culturally, a, a sort of a, um, a, 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 a generational type property that was handed down. And he was now going to get rid of it? How do you get rid? How do you liquidate this vast amount of property in a short time? What do you do? My wife and I, we, have, we, go, we go on dates on Tuesday or Thursday, and we love going to the auction. I tell her, every time I get an elbow for my wife, I know she wants me to get something we don't need. But she tells me the same thing. <laughs> but we just love going out and having fun with that. That's the only way they can liquidate it. They have to devalue the property. There was no accountability, nothing. He didn't want, he didn't want the property to carry on the family's name. He wanted the cash and he wanted it now. Oh my goodness, what, what a horrible, shameful thing that was going on here. The second scene is, can you imagine? He finally has the money in his hands. His pocket full, unbridled vision of what he wants to do with it. Can you imagine that last, it's like that before the, your son goes out to college talk. And the dad's heart is broken. Where is my little boy that I had on my knees putting him to bed? Where is he? Instead we see a, a uncontrollable stallion ready to conquer the world with lust and passion. And then he took off. And we read, we continue to read in the story. Again, I, just, I don't have the time to go into it, but where is the The, the, the pot of gold in the, at the end of this rainbow. We see later on, we find out that this boy, when there was a severe famine in verse 14, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him, sent him into the fields to feed swine. That, that's the pot of gold that he was after? The Bible tells us here that he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And verse 17, well, when he came to himself, and that's the Jewish idiom of repentance, really, that's what it was. But here's the young man. He's down in the, in, in the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I may share with you, brothers, sometimes that is what it's going to take for God to get our attention. We're constantly rebelling against Him. God said, this is wrong, and we still go ahead and we do it. God has spoken. How long, how long brethren, how long do we stand before God, put our fist against Him, and think we can get away with it? When God has spoken, we need to listen. 
And this young man, his daddy spoke to him time and time again, and he took off. And at this point here, he's at the bottom of the barrel. Longing to eat the carob pods that the swines were eating. And that's another Jewish issue. I'm not going to go into that right now. What will it take, brethren? Where are you right now when you walk with God? Has he spoken to you? Have you been doing something constantly and keep on doing it? And If we don't listen, God will respond. And sometimes, to bring back your son or your daughter or whomever it might be, it would take a, a bottom of the barrel experience. Maybe something could go on. Maybe something may happen for God to get our attention. That's the way he does it. Let's run quickly here because of time. He came to his senses. I'm going to go back to my daddy. My papa. And sometimes we miss that, that type of intimacy. We see God is a distant God somewhere who, who, who doesn't want to get close to us. That's what Hinduism does and Islam. That's, what, that's the God that they, that, they, that they tell people about. It's not a personal God. But we see from this story, the daddy later down the road, we see his daddy, when he saw his son from a distance, what did he do? He ran. He ran. He ran to his boy. That's God seeking the sinner. He ran to him. <coughs> and again, considering the context and the cultural background of this, this was a shameful thing. Eastern men don't run. That's why you don't see them in the Olympics. <coughs> Usain Bolt wasn't from the Middle East. He lifted up his garment and he ran to his boy. This is my boy. And it doesn't matter what he's done and where he did it and whom he, he did it with. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when God sees the sinner. The sinner cries out to God. Guess what God does? He washes all his sins away. Clean slate. What freedom. And this young boy, he experienced that that day. Again, it was a shameful thing. May I remind you, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, I believe. In fact, I'm going to read that. That's one of my favorite passages. It says here, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know what's the next phrase? Despising the what? The shame. Despising the shame. Let me tell you again the, a part of the culture of how this works. This is a describing an old peasant village type of thing. It was a shameful thing what the boy did in demanding his inheritance. And the best scene I could come up with, one of my favorite movies, deep, intellectually profound, great history, Madagascar 2. <laughs> Do you remember that scene when it was um, Alicade? When he, when, he, when he was called to fight Titsi? Remember that? Come on, come, be, be honest. And he came out there and he, 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 he came out with it. He posed to fight Titsi. This big, honking, what was he, a lion? And, uh, and Alakate came out and he spun around and started dancing. And, you know, that's what he was. That's what he was good at. He wasn't a fighter. He was a dancer. 
And then Tichi started laughing at him and beat the bajipas out of him. And then Alakade, what happened to him? He was kicked out of the village. But they put something on his head. What was it? A basket of what? A shame. That's the idea that's coming, out, uh, coming around here. But not only did the shame fall on him, it's the, the shame fall on his daddy. Remember what happened with his daddy? He was what? He was banished. It's the same picture going on here. You see, that son was to come back into the village. The village people would go after him. And in the Eastern mind, that's exactly what was going on. But the father, he wasn't supposed to do this. He wasn't supposed to go, and go after his boy. Because that also was a shameful thing. Because it would end up beating and killing even the father. But the father still did it anyway. Despising the what? The shame. And he put his arm around his boy. This is my boy. We, we, we saw what happened here. He got a robe. He got a ring. He got shoes. He was reinstated back into the family, family's business and so on. Where's the, the older brother in all of this? Where's the older brother? You know who was supposed to guard the dignity and the pride and the honor of the father? Guess who? Can you see the scribes and the Pharisees at this point? They were the ones that, that God the Father invested in. I gave them the oracles of God. Gave unto Abraham, unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, all the land of Canaan, with the water stranger. Repeated it to, to Jacob. The scepter shall not depart from thee until Shiloh comes. And the promise was repeated. And the Jewish people, they received that promise. And guess what? We are the seed of Abraham. That secured our salvation. We are circumcised. We keep the Sabbath. And Jesus, you, breaking the Sabbath, you're a son of the devil. At this point here, the scribes and Pharisees, they were cringing. And you know what happened at the end? I love this. I love this. As they celebrated. In verse 27. And he said to him, Your brother has come because he has received him safely and sound. The father has killed a fatted calf. Verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I, I never transgressed your commandments. You talk about hypocrisy here? Self-righteousness? <coughs> you never even gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. <coughs> But as soon as this, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, "Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found." Then chapter 16 begins. He also said his, to his disciples, Wait a sec here! Wait, 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 let's back up here. You look at how that chapter ends. There's something missing. This, this doesn't add up. He told his son that your brother was dead and now he's alive, and then jump into chapter 16 here with a different, totally different idea. 
Something is going on. This is one of the, the seemingly one of the most open-ended passages or parables Jesus spoke of. Listen how we could end this story this morning. And then we'll pray. The older brother, he was so excited to see his younger brother. When his daddy came out to him, he embraced the daddy and said, I agree with you. Let's celebrate together. I'm going to enjoy this feast. I'll be at the side of my younger brother as he is reinstated. Is that how it ends? If this is true, that Jesus is referring to two groups of people there, the appropriate conclusion is this. The older brother took the daddy out among the village and they beat him and they killed him. Does that sound like the appropriate story here? Because that is exactly what they did to Jesus. Isn't that right? Because Jesus came and he was foretold by the prophets and then, and then the, the prophets were killed and until God fi- sent the final emissary and they killed his own son, the final emissary. And Jesus, he walked the streets of Jerusalem. He laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He raised the dead. He cast out the demons. He gave sight to those who were blind. And the final analysis, they arrested him. Six illegal trials. And then he was beaten viciously. And a crown of thorns was placed deep into his skull. And they took the scepter and they hit him. And finally they put him on a cross. That's what they did. He wasn't embraced. His own people, the religious people, condemned him. Can you imagine what was going on with the friars, Pharisees, and scribes at this point? But we know why he did it. As he hung there, and the Bible says that he died. On the third day, what happened? What happened? You've got to say it with me. You've got to say this one. We can't leave without saying it together. Jesus, on the third day, what happened? He rose again. He lives. Jesus lives, my friend. That's why we can trust Him. That's why we can believe in Him today. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. And He's shamed Himself so that you and I can have eternal life. Despising the shame. Ty, I'm done, man. I was looking for you all last hour and they said you ditched us. But let me just end my time here by thanking you and Letting you know how much we appreciate what God has been doing, and not just in this ministry, but uh, you allowing us to come here. Pray for us. We're a ministry in Cheyenne, as you can see, we're uh, working among the Lakota and Sioux Indians and all around the world. Uh, we need prayer. We need. Uh, please just jump over along our table there and thank you, Ty. And I'm done. Okay, I'm I'm done. For Would real. you help me in thanking Jerry and his team? Thank you. What a great reminder for us of the importance of what we cling to. Uh, Jesus is the hope of the world, and we're, uh, we're excited about that. that is a, that's a good word for us this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close the service for a, a benediction. Uh, I uh, would invite you to, to visit the table in the back as 
uh, as you leave and to, to say hi to the, to the team. Jerry also said that you're, you're welcome to come up here and check out the instruments up here. And um, it's fascinating to see the, the worksmanship uh, that goes into these instruments. And I invite you to do that as well. Would you bow in prayer as we close? Lord, I want to thank you for this team. And I want to thank you for the good news that was proclaimed here this morning. I'm reminded of uh, how these instruments themselves represent um, what you have done with our lives, how you took something that was seemingly meaningless, uh, headed for destruction, and you put your um, intentional, purposeful plan into it and made something beautiful. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for the grace that we heard about again this morning. Lord, I want to pray that you would be our God as we leave from this place and that we would faithfully be your people, that we would have this message of the gospel on our lips and we would proclaim it faithfully to this county and around the world. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. I was also reminded